Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Thanks so much for coming out today, and uh, great to see some, uh, some new faces amongst the crowd this morning, and uh, welcome also to those who are joining online. Uh, it's great, I think, that we have that, uh, that facility that if you're away, you're visiting family, uh, you're not feeling well this morning, you can still check in online, so it's good to have you join us uh, this morning too. Uh, and it's just been great to celebrate one year here in the Hayes School. I, um, I remember what it was like this time last year. There was far fewer people in this room. Um, and it had been such a difficult 12, 18 months, really, of not being able to gather together. And so we were still socially distanced. We were all wearing masks. But it was amazing to finally, for the first time, be, to be all together in one place. Um, and I hope we don't take that for granted anymore. Um, we, we easily can slip back into just being like, ah, oh, it's church on Sunday morning, it's normal. It wasn't normal, was it? It wasn't normal for two, almost two years. It was a really difficult uh, season of our, of our life, a really hard start to a church plant. Uh, but we were able to celebrate. And, and celebration has been, always been part of the rhythm of what it means to be the people of God. We actually uh, read together, I think on that Sunday morning, or at, at least uh, in that time, uh, Samuel's words in 1 Samuel 7, where the people of Israel paused and celebrated together and said together, thus far the Lord has helped us. And that very much is what we want to say again together this morning. Thus far the Lord has helped us. This is what he has done. Uh, this is what he is doing here in North Manchester and we can be thankful to him and expectant that God will continue to bless us in these ways because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he has helped us, then he will help us. And it's in that spirit that we turn to Mark 8 this morning, in that confidence, knowing that he loves us and he wants to speak to us today uh, and he wants to offer to us his grace to help us. So um, why don't I pray for us as we come uh, to God's word this morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that thus far you have helped us. As we sung this morning, you have been good, good to our souls. And we are grateful for all the ways in which you have blessed us, all the ways in which we have seen that this past year. And I pray now, Lord that you would help us, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are speaking to us this morning. Because we readily acknowledge today that we are slow to see, we are slow to hear, and we need your help. And so, Spirit of God, please come now and do your work in our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. So, I want us to talk this morning about the subject of knowing our blind spots. Knowing our blind spots. That's the big idea today that I want us to press into together. Recently, I received an invitation from uh, Greater Manchester Police to be a special guest at one of their speed awareness courses. At least, um, I assume that is how they understood the invitation as well, because it can't have been for speeding, because I was doing 57 on the M60 past Stockport at 4 o'clock in the morning when I was dropping Harry at the airport, and there was not a single other car on the road, so they clearly can't have thought that I was driving badly. Um, it's cool. I'm, I'm totally fine with it, and um, it was Harry's fault anyway, so I made him pay the fine. Um, but anyway, what I learned 
on this, during the course of this three-hour Zoom call, is that over the past 15 years or so, I have uh, forgotten many of the things that I was taught during my driving lessons. Um, I, uh, it, or either that or I am sub subsequently neglecting to pay attention to it, and I need to sort it out. So uh, all in all, it was a useful uh, time well spent. Um, and one of the things that we were reminded, and those of us who drive will know, is that when you are driving, you need to be aware of your surroundings. And sometimes, because we are messing around with the radio or texting, or I mean, not that I ever do any of those things, uh, we can be less than aware than we should be. And we know that uh, although we are assisted in the task of being aware by various mirrors in the car, there are two blind spots that we have when we are driving. I hope that you know that if you drive. Whenever you change lane, not only should you check your mirrors, but you should also glance behind you, over your shoulder, because just behind you, there and there, kind of alongside but behind you, uh, are your blind spots where your mirrors do not cover. And you should always check a blind spot in order to prevent a potential accident. It's slightly ironic me lecturing all of you guys on that this morning, um, because clearly I was the one who needed some help. But it got me thinking this week, where are our blind spots in our Christian lives? What are the dangers that we are unaware of, that we don't even notice despite the fact that they are in full view. You know, Jesus helps us to see some of those blind spots this morning in Mark chapter 8. What we'll hopefully realize is that our blind spots relate to our faith in him. You'll know if uh, you've been a Christian any, uh, any length of time that we are created to live in relationship with with God. That is, that is our purpose. That is what we've been designed to do. And that is a relationship that is based upon our faith in him. Or to put it another way, a relationship that is defined for us, at least, by our trust in him. God tells us who he is. He tells us who we are. He tells us where history is going and how we can experience life the way that it is meant to be. In all its goodness and blessing, as we respond to him by trusting what he says, by hearing and believing. That's, that's what faith is, isn't it? It's how we relate to God. And without faith, we miss out on his blessing and we experience curse. Now, that might sound like a really strong thing to say this morning, but that is how the Bible sets this up. Life in relationship with God is full of blessing, but life without God, when we turn away from him, when we walk away from him, it's known as sin, is a life of curse. We experience the consequences of our sin. And we see the evidence of that all around us. It might sound like a controversial statement to say that life away from God is a life full of curse, but there is so much proof of it in our lives and in the lives of the people that we know, even in the lives of those we don't know in the world around us, that I, I don't really feel like I need to elaborate much further on it. The world is broken. It's filled with the experiences of what it means to walk away from God and live lives our own way. When we turn away from God... 
When we live life apart from him, life does not go well. And so, the reason I labor that point this morning is, what that's showing us is that our greatest danger is not trusting him. Our greatest danger is not actively living in relationship with him through faith. And there are blind spots in our lives that we are often completely unaware of that prevent us from trusting Jesus. Prevent us both in the ultimate sense. Maybe some of us here this morning don't know him. Maybe you don't have a relationship with, uh, with him at all because of some of these blind spots. But also in the situational sense. For some of us, we don't know Jesus as well as we could because we keep him at arm's length. And we don't even know that we're doing it sometimes because we have these faith blind spots. And God wants us to see what they are today. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 8. If you have a Bible, uh, now would be a good time to get it back open uh, in front of you. And perhaps it felt a little bit like deja vu when Emmanuel was reading it for us a moment ago. Uh, if you were with us a few weeks ago, then you will recognize an incident almost identical to what we find here in verses 1 to 10 of Mark chapter 8. Uh, back in Mark chapter 6, because uh, here's some similar details. There is a crowd in a remote place. Jesus is concerned about them because they are hungry. The disciples bring him a small number of loaves and fish, which he breaks, prays for, and passes back to the disciples to distribute. All of these details are in both of these uh, accounts. Thousands are fed miraculously, and basketfuls are left over. Someone said to me this morning, oh, are we doing the feeding of the 5,000? No, well, that's the famous one back in, in chapter 6. No, today we're looking at the feeding of the 4,000. But for our purposes this morning, one detail particularly stands out. I don't know if you noticed it. It's there in verse 4. The disciples, responding to Jesus' desire to feed the crowds, ask him this question. Where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Now, when I read that, I want to respond. Has somebody dropped you on your head repeatedly from a very great height? Do you not remember what just happened in this exact situation a short time before? In fact, we know that they do remember. Jesus asks them about it and they tell him as much down in verses 19 and 20. So my question this morning for them, and kind of for us, is why do they ask such a stupid question? Why, when confronted with this great need, do they not respond in faith and say, oh, it's okay, Jesus, don't worry. We've, we know exactly where. You're the one who's going to help us do this because we saw you do this last week or whenever it was. We're not exactly sure the time, the, 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 the difference. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you've seen him feed 5,000 people, you'd know he could do 4,000, right? Why do they not say, we trust you with this? We believe. What we're seeing is a faith blind spot. And... We spot it today, we can observe it in the lives of the disciples by the presence 
of their anxiety in the face of challenge. Now, let me be clear. Not all anxiety is a result of a lack of faith. I think it's really important to say that this morning. We know, don't we, that many people struggle with mental health, uh, and that struggle requires a doctor. And so it's not right for us just to simply say this morning, uh, look, you just need to trust God more with your anxiety. So that's important to say up front. But... I don't want us to miss the fact that not all anxiety comes from a chemical imbalance in our brains. Actually, I think for many of us, the anxiety that we experience is a result of finding ourselves in situations a bit like the disciples do. When we are faced with a challenge that is far, far beyond us. It might be a situation at work where we simply do not have the capacity to deliver what is required. Or maybe we are trying to work out how to be good parents and we're confronted with the many challenges that parenting brings and and we realize at some point or other, I just do not have a clue what the right next thing to do is. Or perhaps we find ourselves staring at our bank balance and we wonder how we are going to address the gaping hole that seems to be appearing in our finances. Whatever the challenge is, The presence of anxiety is more often than not an indication that we are struggling to trust that Jesus will help us. That's right, isn't it? Look at what we learn here about Jesus in verses 1 to 10. First, he wants to help us. Verse 2, it says, he has has compassion on the people, on the crowds. So, This is who Jesus is, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He isn't emotionally detached. He doesn't look at the fact that they're hungry and go, oh, that's not a spiritual need. Or or maybe he doesn't look at them and go, well, that's not big enough. That's not on the world stage. So I I shouldn't be concerned with the small things about the fact that these guys haven't eaten for a, uh, a couple of days. Jesus cares. His heart is filled with compassion when he sees us struggling and he wants to help us. That's the first thing that we see about Jesus here. The second thing we see is that he is patient when we fail. You know, I've been a bit harsh with the disciples so far, haven't I? But when, when they ask this incredibly dense question, he doesn't just throw his hands up in the air and go, oh, did someone drop you on your head? There is no sense of frustration here. And when we're struggling, we need to know that Jesus is not frustrated with us. He loves us. He is ready to help us. He is patient. He is not like us, actually, in that sense. And that's a very, very good thing. The third thing we see here about Jesus is that he is able to provide. You know, we can promise one another the world. Often we do. When someone's going through a hard situation, you say, don't worry, I'm here. I can fix it. Oh, great. Pete's here. Brilliant. I mean, often we cannot fix the challenges that other people are facing because we are facing the similar ones ourselves. When it's a feed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a handful of fish kind of problem, we can't fix it. No matter how well-intentioned we are. But what does Mark 8 tell us today? Jesus can. He is able to provide. So let me ask you the question. Why, when we face challenges that are far, far greater than us, are we anxious? 
often our anxiety is exposing a faith blind spot. We are struggling to trust him with the challenges that we face. And so our anxiety is an indicator of a trust issue, a deeper trust issue that needs to be addressed. That's the first indicator, I think, that we see here of of faith blind spots. The second one is this, hostility. That's the second presenting issue I think we see here in Mark chapter 8. So once Jesus and his disciples finish with the crowd, they sail back across the Lake of Galilee, and they are met by the Pharisees. Again, these these guys who pop up time and time again in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus, the first century Jewish religious leaders, who in verse, set, verse 11, they swarm around Jesus and they're haranguing him with questions. You don't necessarily get that, that's the strong sense of that from the English translation. It just says they question Jesus. But uh, in the original language uh, that this was written in, that's the sense uh, of, of what's going on here. They're throwing questions at Jesus. He, he, you know, he just kind of, you imagine, he gets, just gets out of the boat, steps on dry land, suddenly these guys are there. Tell us what you think about the law. Tell us what you think about sin. Tell us what you think about God. They are throwing questions at him in his face. And Mark tells us, to test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. Now, why do they do that? It's because they want to prove that he is wrong. They came to test him we read, to show him up, to expose him as a fraud. That's the heart behind what they are doing. Their attitude towards Jesus is is that they will refuse to listen at at all costs. They are hostile to what he has to say. And, And the evidence of this is that they request a sign. Give us some kind of sign from heaven that you are who you say you are. Now, I, I don't know. In the context, doesn't that just seem a bit crazy? I don't know, maybe a sign like you know, feeding 4,000 people with basically nothing in, in, the, in the middle of the desert. Of course their request is, is crazy in the context. But it demonstrates what's going on in their hearts. They, they literally have the evidence, the sign of who Jesus is right there in front of them. And they will not believe it. And it shows us that Often those who refuse Jesus don't do so because of a lack of evidence, but simply because they are hostile to who he is and what he has to say. And you know, sometimes, look, we can, we can slam the Pharisees this morning. That's not really going to help us. Sometimes we can be like that too. That's what we need to look at in ourselves today. Sometimes we can be like that too. Because God says some hard things to us sometimes, doesn't he? Don't have sex before marriage. There's one of them. Don't, don't use bad language. Give your money generously to support Christian ministry. Or be patient with one another. Include those who you find difficult. How about this one? Speak the truth in love. Of course, the biggest thing that I think uh, we find hard that God tells us is that we are sinners and there is nothing that we can do to fix our own sin. And only through faith in Jesus' death on the cross, in our place, can we earn our forgiveness 
and restore our relationship to him. Some of us can't accept that. We are hostile to that. And like the Pharisees, we're saying to Jesus, I need more from you. I can't just take you at your word. I want you to prove it. Give me some sort of sign that I should believe that. I don't accept what you say. Now we need to know today that when we observe hostility in our lives towards Jesus, it is evidence of a hardened faith blind spot. And the warning for us today is that Jesus deals with hostility very differently to the way that he deals with anxiety. We're told in verse 12, he sighed deeply. Literally, he sighed in his spirit. He is frustrated with this line of questioning. And he's not interested at all in what the Pharisees are trying to do. He does not take the test. He refuses the request and he immediately leaves. See, the danger of hostility to Jesus is that ultimately he'll walk away from us and we'll miss out on his blessing and we'll face an eternity without him, an eternity of curse. And you might think, well, look, I trust Jesus mostly. There's just certain areas of my life that I'm hostile towards him. Well, listen to what he says in verse 15 to his disciples. He says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. What's he saying there? He's saying that a little hostility spreads. It's like yeast in dough. A small amount affects the whole batch eventually. So what we're seeing here this morning is that if we allow hostility to Jesus to fester, if there is a faith blind spot in our lives where we refuse to trust him, if he is speaking to us in his word and we say, no, I will not believe you for this, I will not submit to you here, eventually that attitude in one aspect of our lives comes to affect the whole of our lives. I was reflecting on it this week. Very sadly, I have seen this happen to people multiple times throughout my, my life in Christian ministry. It's crushing. People who have professed faith in Jesus, but have refused to trust him on one issue or another, and eventually their entire profession of faith has just crumbled away and they've walked away from him. That is what hostility does if we allow it to remain in our blind spot, if we do not address it in our hearts. So that's, that's the second aspect that we see here today, a second faith blind spot. It's evidenced by hostility. And the third one is this preoccupation. Preoccupation. You know, sometimes we are so fixated on the big issue in our lives. That no matter what Jesus is saying to us, the big issue is all that we can hear and think about. There's a whole massive variety of different things that uh, I could have given for this for an example. But I think one great example in which I've seen this happen is um, guys who struggle with pornography. And I shouldn't just say guys, actually. It's something that women struggle with as well. 
I've spoken to a number of people who experience this. Uh, they're struggling with, with porn, which, as we know, is incredibly prevalent in our society. Uh, and it's often deeply shameful, so they keep it a secret. And if, if this is you this morning, know that you are not the only person who struggles with this. Um, uh, you're by no means uh, alone in this. But what having something like porn going on in your life does is it dominates what you think about. Often, all you can think about is just how awful it is and how you need to stop it and what God must think about me. But at the same time, you like it and you don't want to stop it, but you know you must. And every time you're in church, every time you open your Bible, all you can think about is what this means for me and how I'm struggling with porn and oh, Jesus must be really disappointed with me. Look, the reality is, uh, sure, Jesus wants you to stop. It's important that you stop. But porn is not the only thing that God talks to you about. We know that, don't we? There are a huge number of other things that Jesus has to say to us from the Bible. And when we, we, when we are completely preoccupied with one issue, whether it's uh, a sin like pornography, or a circumstance, like the stress that we're feeling in our lives about a certain issue, or a relationship, uh, or a problem that fills our minds and takes all of our emotional energy. If you are preoccupied when Jesus is talking to you, then that potentially creates a pretty big faith blind spot that is preventing you from growing in your faith and your trust in him. You notice how this crops up in our passage again today. And I, my goodness, the, the disciples, I, I'm so glad they're there. <laughs> I'm so glad they're there that, that, they're, not, that they're not nailing it every single time. It, it gives us real, a real sense of like, it's okay that, that we keep on screwing this up too. But these guys, um, they're hilarious, right? Jesus gives his disciples a pretty intense warning that we just looked at in verse 15. But what, what, they, what can they think about? All they can think about is lunch. They've forgotten to bring bread. Perhaps they're feeling hungry. Perhaps there's a little conversation going on in the boat. They're annoyed at the person who forgot to go to Greg's. They're probably going, guys, we just had seven basketfuls of bread. How have we not got any bread? Who, who's, who's gone and forgotten the bread? Either way, what we do know is that the, that's the big issue for them that day. Their tummies are rumbling. They're feeling hungry. And when Jesus says to them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod, they go, yeah, he's talking about bread. And Jesus, Jesus goes, guys, why are you talking about having no bread? That's not what I'm saying to you. You need to listen to me. Stop being preoccupied with your big issue. Because look, look what Jesus says here in verses 17 and onwards. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Are your hearts hardened? Sorry. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand? His reality. 
the bread of life is in the boat with them. And they are preoccupied with sandwiches. And the reason Jesus shows us this morning is that they are spiritually blind. Do you have eyes but fail to see? They are spiritually deaf. Do you have ears but fail to hear? Their preoccupation is preventing them from moving forward in faith. What are you preoccupied with this morning? Is it evidence of a faith blind spot? Have you spent most of this sermon thinking about something else rather than listening to what God is saying today? Then that's probably a good indication that you're thinking about bread. Is it stopping you from seeing Jesus as he reveals himself to you this morning? You know, each of us experience this to one degree or another, don't we? Anxiety, hostility, preoccupation. All of us struggle to see Jesus as he is because of the condition of our hearts. There is spiritual blindness inside us, spiritual deafness. We struggle to see and to understand. And so we miss out on Jesus. Some of us miss out on him completely. Others of us miss out on him in those moments when he is right here and he is ready to bless us, to pour out, <laughs> to pour out his grace into our lives and shower us with every blessing that heaven has to offer us. See, that's, that's who Jesus is for us today. He is with us by his spirit. He is holding out life and grace and peace to us this morning. And yet there is something inside us that blinds us to that so often. And it's a blindness that we cannot fix ourselves. But And this is, this is where we're finishing this morning. Just glance down with me at what happens in verses 22 to 26. This is the truth for each of us today. Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. We'll look more at this, uh, these verses next week, but for now, let us simply note that what happens next in this narrative is no coincidence. Jesus, in love, approaches a blind man and heals his blindness. You see, if you know that you are blind today, if you've perceived some of your faith blind spots in your heart this morning that maybe you've never seen, or maybe you have seen them and you're actually very, you're very well aware that they are there, but either you've stopped, you've stopped uh, looking at them or you've, or you've just kind of ignored the fact that that's going on. Whoever we are, whatever is going on in our hearts, this is the invitation to us this morning. Come to Jesus. He is the one who makes the blind see. Truly see. You see, there is a sight for you 
this morning that Jesus holds out a clearer sight, a purer sight. You can see him better today. You can behold God more clearly revealed in the face of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. And it can help you in your anxiety. It can melt away your hostility. It can remove your preoccupation and help you live with clear-minded focus to serve God. That is on offer for each of us today. Your blind spots can be removed so that you can live by faith in the power of the Spirit. But to do that, we must come to Jesus, the one who opens the eyes of the blind. That's the invitation for each of us today. So why don't I pray for us uh, that God would help us to do that. <laughs> Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It reveals truth to us, truth about you, truth about us. And Lord, maybe this morning, the light of your word has been shining into dark places in our lives, blind spots where we often struggle to trust you because of our anxiety or our hostility or the things in our lives that preoccupy us and steal away our attention. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray now that you would come and open the eyes of the blind. Where there is blindness in our lives, help us to see. Help us to see you. Help us to understand who you are and how your truth, the truth and the reality of who you are, answers our anxieties, overcomes our hostilities, redirects our lives away from that which preoccupies us and helps us to live and serve you. Holy Spirit, you are the one who does this work. So come into our lives, we pray. Fill us again. Fill us anew. That we might truly trust and believe. That we might live by faith. Oh God, do your work in your church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.